All right. Hello, everyone, wherever you are. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. We're here with the latest episode of the Inside Crypto Show, interviews and discussion with the regular people just like yourselves. And today we are joined by the CEO of 21Co, Haney Rashwan. Haney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time. You're so busy. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Before we get started, let's do the disclaimer. We usually do these on the Trion Co. podcast. Anything said by either Haney or myself does not constitute financial advice. Our opinions are our own and not to be connected with 21 Co., 21 Shares, or Amen. This is going to be a really interesting podcast. For some of our listeners, know we tend to get into the weeds. We're going to make this more personal. Today, Haney, we just want to talk about your story and the impact on 21 Co. For some of you, our listeners, they might be new to 21 Co. or the podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Yeah, absolutely. 21Co builds bridges into the crypto world. We try and make it as easy as possible for people to get access to this exciting new asset class, crypto, that we're all quite excited about ourselves. We are under our 21Shares brand, the world's largest issuer of crypto exchange-traded products, that ETFs and ETCs and ETPs and all of that. We make Crypto is easy to buy as a share on a stock exchange, and we have that listed around the world. We also have token versions of that, which we've been doing under the Amun brand name, as well as a few other things in what it takes to build a crypto native from the ground up asset manager as we have. With respect to how did I get into crypto overall, look, I think I have a very similar story to a lot of people in that I discovered it, I dismissed it. I didn't think it was that big. And then I would come back later with much renewed excitement and vigor. I think I discovered Bitcoin because I was in fintech. I've always been in fintech. Every company that I've ever done has been in fintech and it's a small world. So I had an investor, his name was Tim Draper, and he's still pretty big in the in the crypto scene. But to me, he was my first lead investor ever, which means that he's the main guy that funded my first and second startup. And he was really crazy into this Bitcoin thing. He also wanted to split California into six different states. <laughs> and I remember in 20, I want to say 2012 or around then, end of 2011, 2012 sometime, I got $50 worth of Bitcoin. And there were three Bitcoins on the flash drive because they were 15 bucks each or something like that. And I remember playing around with it. Nothing was really quite interesting about it. I threw it aside at some point. I have no idea where the flash drive is, <laughs> but I had that as my introduction to crypto. And then many years later, at the end of 2016, so almost five years later or so, I'm Egyptian. There was an, a currency devaluation in Egypt, which is not an insignificant place. It's the, I think we're the 21st or 22nd largest economy by PPP. But I started seeing people buying middle class, doctors, lawyers, engineers, buying crypto on the local gray market. It was local Bitcoin to safeguard their assets. And that's when I started thinking that there may be more to this crypto thing than first meets the eye. That is an impressive story. And you mentioned Tim Draper. I'm like, oh my God, who doesn't know who Tim Draper is? And that's perfect time for a name drop. Very cool. Yeah, Tim has been crazy about crypto from the very, very beginning. And I think had I listened to him, I would have maybe gotten into this five or six years earlier than I actually ended up being. So pretty influential guy, I would say. Very cool. And speaking of fintech as well, like 
you mentioned that you've been working in the fintech and for people who don't know, like you're, you're on our all hands. We have an all hands meeting every Friday and no matter where you are in the world, no matter how early it is, like you're there, you're <laughs> energetic. You might not look energetic, but you're definitely energetic and you put a lot of energy into everything you've done. I've been with the company for one and a half years and I'm just amazed with all the travel and stuff you do. And I want to ask what lessons and motivations do you bring from your experiences and your roles into 21 Co at the moment? So I think let's start with what not to do. The first company I ever did, I dropped out of school to do it. So that's how young I was. I think I was 20 or thereabouts. And I thought I was leaving for one semester. Like the conversation that I had with my parents, mostly my mother, was I'm going to go for three or four months. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to come back to school. I'm going to finish this. And that's actually the worst way of getting into anything. I think most people, especially younger founders, don't think in the long term. And as we're seeing by the shakeout overall in crypto, some of the old people as well and the older, more mature founders that should know better also don't think about the long term. And I think that's some superpower that people don't take as much advantage of. When you think about things on a long enough time horizon, you can still be ruthlessly hungry and aggressive about a bigger vision while at the same time protecting the downside of wasting too much time. I think that we oftentimes go for smaller things or things that really appear to be smaller when in fact they're not. And then you wake up and you realize, I've been working on this for four years. I've been working on this for five years. And it's still, had you gone for a much bigger goal from the very beginning, or had you been thinking in five-year increments, rather than six months or three months or 12 month increment, then you're more audacious. You, you try and do something much bigger because there's nothing that, that's going to be enduring and monumental that can be done in just a year or two. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. And so even if you're on a year two of a five-part, five-year journey, it will be different and you'll operate differently. Again, I think if we stop being so short-term sighted, in general. And I see that happening with a lot of early founders in that, let me just do something. Let me build something to flip it. No, assume that anything you're doing, you're going to be doing for five to 10 years. That then elevates whatever it is that you're doing, because it better be good. That's a long enough time horizon that you can think on a very grand scale while ensuring that you do not waste your time. And that's how I think about it. There's a lot of additional startup rules that I think apply. Be very careful with the first 10 people you hire. That is the company. Go after very big things one step at a time. The amount of time we spend speaking to users is actually very small compared to what it should be. The amount of time we spend thinking about competitors is actually very large compared to what it should be. Don't spend a minute thinking about competitors and spend extra hours speaking to customers. And overall, my personal pet peeve and what I seek to fix and ensure that I don't commit mistakes with this with respect to the company is this thinking in the long-term aspect of it. And I learned that the hard way with my first company. I've got to ask because people like thinking in the long-term is a skill that people, some people have to develop. Is this something you developed recently or a few years ago? How can people get into that time frame of that methodology of looking at things in a five-year time frame? So I think it, it definitely takes practice, but once you see the benefit, 
that's when you're hooked, so to speak. I think that when it comes to developing startup ideas, if something does not stand the test of a five-year timeline, chances are you're either too early or too late. If you think about what we've done, we got a little bit lucky in the timing. We were about a year and a half off the perfect time, which enabled us to work on it and have it be in the wild for us to then build a base off of. If we weren't thinking about what does the next five to 10 years look like, we may have done that first product, been very excited, sold, and went home because that's it. Or we may have done the opposite of spending too long on that and then getting it out like some of our competitors that are releasing products now not the most ideal time to do such a thing. And so I think it affects you in both ways. And it's something that you just have to train yourself to do until you see the benefits of it. And the benefits of it are honestly very clear once, once you start experiencing them. Things are easier when you think in the long term. Bigger goals are easier to accomplish if you're thinking about them without the time pressure of the next quarter or the next few quarters. Ensuring that you're working on something that matters is far easier when you have to justify it on that scale. It's not something that exists for some opportunity this year, for example. And then you realize that if you build something over the long term, you're going to also build it better. There is that exercise that Jeff Bezos, I think, did, or he was funding the Long Now Foundation or something similar to that. Of what, it, what would it take for us to design a clock? that works for the next 30,000 years without any human intervention. Turns out more care to attention to details on that is, is part of it. And so it also enables you to build a far better product that's far more defensible than people that are not competing on the same time scale. I think it is the single biggest thing that we overlook, especially earlier in our careers. People jump around too much and people dismiss ideas that will be executed over the long term versus more short-term, easier to grasp, easier to accomplish things that by their very nature are also not as defensible and not as engaging. This is not going to be how you do the most change or have the most enduring product out there. Very true and very wise words. The Jeff Bezos example is a really good example. I remember reading about it. Haney, Twin Co. is a relatively new company as opposed to Twin Shares or Amun. And do you want to tell us why Twin Co. started last year and talk to us about the mission behind Twinework. Sure. So I think we've seen this play out before. We did not intend to build a company here. This company did get created by accident. We were thinking about things, but I wouldn't say that we really thought that we were building a company. We we're trying to find a product. We we're just trying to find this product. And we weren't even looking for ourselves, my co-founder Ophelia and I. We both had mothers who were very engaged big believers in crypto overall that wanted an easier way of accessing that asset class. And we knew various ways that could be done to do that, but none of them were out there. We saw a lot of competing products that were really dangerous in one way or another, were built in one way or another. And some of those have fallen, some of those are still falling. And I think that's how we approached it is initially we were just potential customers that didn't see anything. But we had some expertise, but mostly the tenacity of just figuring it out and powering through. We had a, a good thesis about things, which was we thought the best 
the best place to start this would be in a country that has very clear regulatory nature, where we would have absolutely no troubles at home and actually be very aligned with that country's end goal. We looked at a bunch. That's how we found Switzerland. And I would say it's a perfect match because we were able to launch first in the world and we were then able to subsequently use Switzerland as a base from which to expand. And so on both of those fronts, I think we did it the correct way. And initially, we're just looking to bring crypto to market through some ETF wrapper. And then things escalated because we, we solved that problem pretty early on. We ran into a bunch of other problems that needed to be solved, and we're still working through them even today. You mentioned problems to be solved, right? Like 2022 has been a year of problems, but let's go a little bit further back, right? I got into crypto in 2017. There were problems then, and I think a lot of solutions have been found over the last few years. Like in the industry back then or now, you can take it at whatever time frame you want. What challenges did you recognize and set out to solve? What challenges did I recognize and set out to solve? That's what I'm saying is that I think you can take a look at it in two different directions. One would be this which would be, I think, taking a lot of agency away from me and not being as customer-centric. I can think about it as an overall field. And you can say crypto is growing and therefore this is how we're going to capture it in one way or another. I think the best way of thinking about new products, new startups, our company is being customer-centric and thinking about what, who are our customers, what pain points are they experiencing? and how to go about fixing that. And at the very beginning, that was super simple. Our customers were people that believed in crypto, but were really worried about private keys, custody, and things like that. Or that couldn't figure out how to buy it physically, or couldn't buy it physically. We get a lot of institutional investors who need to buy a security in order to get access to crypto. And so who are our customers? Those are our customers. Those are their pain points. And by fixating on solving those and following along so that we see what other challenges our customers want, maybe they want staking infrastructure and they want to be able to get those kind of yields through an ETP wrapper. We've invented that and so on. And so we take it just one step at a time and try and be as communicative as possible, as, as visible as possible in our customers' lives such that we see these just from their point of view and try and fix any of these issues. That okay. I want to go off script here because one of the things I've always noticed, like with you, you're like, you're on social media everywhere and you got into crypto early with your USB flash drive and Bitcoins, but <laughs> like you have such a broad base of knowledge that I find like, even for me after five years, I still feel like I'm lacking so much knowledge in all the various aspects of crypto. Like, how do you keep up with the industry? Because the industry is so <laughs> fast. I remember you at Solana Breakpoint as well, where you're on stage and talking and you just, you seem to keep it all in your brain. How do you do? I, um, I think you learn tricks and tips over the years. I actually think people in society overall dismiss the social sciences in general. I actually think what you're specifically talking about comes back from my training as a historian, because okay. that's actually what I studied. I studied history in school. And history is this unique thing where if you think about a seminar, it's on some sort of topic, you get a list of 12 or 13 books, and they're real books. And some of them are real historical books that are extra long and extra slow to read. They're very dry. And the assignment is almost always, you have a week, take a look at all these books, come in and we'll discuss the themes that are in them. And you realize it's impossible to read 
12 or 13 or 14 books within a week. And so what you actually get very good at is threading these thoughts throughout the book. And so you read a little bit here, a little bit there. I would say I'm not really a mile deep on any one topic. I'm an inch deep on most things. And I'm a foot deep, I would say, in a couple of things. But then overall, I try to develop the links between everything. Because I think once you connect it, that's actually how you end up not just reading it or memorizing it, but really internally getting it in a way. And so it's going through life and doing what I think any good historian or history student would do, which is read a bunch of things from a bunch of different perspectives and authors and viewpoints, because no one is right. And we all are biased. And then find current connective tissues between them, find connectors between them, find themes in some way. Another way of putting this is go through life and come up with a thesis on everything. And even if your thesis is wrong, because that's what a thesis is, even if you're a PhD student or you're working on something, you have some idea, but you keep editing and you keep playing with it and you keep changing it this way or that way, little by little. So I think that's overall how I come at all of this is with an intellectual curiosity and ultimately trying to come up with themes. And so I have these very strongly held, but easy to change opinions on, on everything, because that's actually how I think. Very cool. Okay. A follow-up question from that, right? You said you studied history. And I think most people who study history are, again, this is like a misconception or a stereotype or sort of boring or don't really speak very well, but you have this fantastic speaking voice. And again, I've had lots of experiences listening to this on all hands meetings. So is this, again, one of those skills you developed being a fintech startup and a CEO and doing all this stuff is like, or have you always been a good speaker? I think I've always been comfortable speaking, which I think is half of it. <laughs> you read all of these things about how public speaking is a greater fear than fear of snakes or spiders or whatever. I don't think I've ever been afraid of speaking. And that put me in certain situations where then I got more comfortable with it. I actually think that the one of the best ways of speaking better is actually writing better. And I think they're very connected because they're just different expressions of the same thing, which is ultimately how well organized is your brain and how quick thinking can you be? How quick can you be on your feet and how structurally constructed, how well organized is the is that brain? And that's actually all you need to go in and have a good written or verbal change of communication. And I think that's what actually you try to strive for. And one of the best ways of learning how to edit yourself and how to succinctly share messages is actually writing and rewriting that rewriting. And so I think that's one of the very easy ways of getting there. You also learn from example a ton. So watching great speeches. Reading great writing is a key part of all of this. And I think you end up practicing and practicing for the 10,000 hours or whatever it takes, and you'll get somewhere. Very cool. Okay. As much as I like to diverge, I'm going to pull this back. 2022 has been a year full of problems, right? FTX, Luna, 3DC. Yeah. I think we've definitely had a big hit in confidence. It's 2023. How do you envision 21 Co playing a role in sort of restoring confidence? confidence or solving some of the issues that 
2022 puts into 2023? Yeah, so I think that there are two very big winners from 2022 in crypto. One is, generally speaking, highly regulated crypto firms in reputable jurisdictions, especially. Coinbase is one example of this. We are another, right? We've been regulated from day one. There is no other choice but to be regulated from day one. And the other is DeFi. DeFi has been doing rather well. The DeFi activities, DeFi liquidations, the threat is not from DeFi, right? It's from real human beings with real keys controlling real things and oftentimes doing greedy or short-sighted things, right? And so I think if you look at both of those, then the future is pretty clear and pretty bright with respect to crypto in general. And I think that is actually a very comforting thing. I am pleasantly surprised by where we are as an industry, given a lot of the turmoil that has happened and a lot of the upcoming turmoil that we see. A lot of the things that are happening right now with DCG and Genesis and Grayscale is an overhang on our industry. And it's even if they come up with a resolution, it's not going to be a happy ending for everybody, right? There are more examples of this that are less public, and we're going to see a lot of them start being flushed out, which is helpful. So I think 2023 is going to be more of this. There's more shakeouts that need to happen. And we need to do just the same as we've always done, which is listen to our users, continue building highly regulated products, it's not a um, trust us is not what we're asking of people. We cannot, we are not obligated. We can, we were not able to do this nefarious activity, whether out of regulation under the 21 chairs umbrella or out of, as people will see soon, some of this stuff we'll do on token where there's a smart contract. It's fully audited. It's fully auditable. You can go and take a look at it. Don't trust us, trust the regulation trust the code. And then overall, I think that's the best way of being a trustworthy player in the space and making a difference. So that's how I see 2023 going. But I think it would behoove us as an industry to be overly careful. There's a lot of turmoil and we're nowhere near done. I think it is possible that we're seeing the, the depth of the bear market right now. That doesn't mean that the bear market's over. And if you look at when the bottom is versus when it starts going up again. And that was in an era of easier money printing, of no wars or conflicts on the European continent, inflation not being as big of a problem. It will take a while to fix this. And I think we just need to steady the course and be abundantly careful as an industry while figuring out the most important things, which is how will the next billion people use crypto? How and what use cases are they going to have what applications are they going to use? We do all of that. There's nothing to worry about. And we take care of all of the other problems. That are... Very good. I'm waiting for those next billion people to get into crypto. Fingers crossed from my side of the world. It's inevitable, but it requires us as an industry to stop focusing so much on pump and dumps. And again, short-sightedness is a big problem because it takes away from being able to concentrate on solving some of these hard problems. Very true. I think not even from a company perspective, I think even on a personal perspective, short-sightedness is definitely a problem. Um, I definitely have. and I, think I completely most, agree. I also want to talk about the company structure. So one of the cool things everyone on this podcast will know is I live in Taiwan. 
which is six hours ahead of Zurich. And we have employees in New York and Zurich. We have Lena and Karim in Egypt as well. We're an international company and you've made this company in such a, like an interesting, very cool structure. We also have a nice research team, right? And they're dedicated to blockchain research and they provide free research. And one of the questions I wanted to ask is why place such an intense focus in providing this research to everybody? Because everybody can access it from the 21 Shares website and as well as our customers as well. Yeah, a lot of questions there. I think the research piece is actually very close to our heart and very close to what we want to build here, which is we want to be your guide to crypto. We want to explain to you what this is. We want to explain to you why it's so important. We want to do this in every language. And we want to do this in a way that makes more sense to you. Research is such a wonderful way of doing that because there's no BS associated with it. We're not trying to sell products. We're trying to explain concepts, many different ones, sometimes opposing ones. Like if you've seen our product suite, there are some parts of our product suite that disagree with the philosophical angles of other parts of our product suite. And that's okay, right? And I think it has served us really well. A story that not everyone knows, Kathy Wood, who's our independent board director, founded this company, pretty famous ETF issuer called ARK. And most people don't realize two things. One is that Kathy's background is actually not on the investment side, but on the equity research side. Kathy was an equity researcher for most of her career. I think worked at Alliance Bernstein and a couple other shops before going and doing ARK, which itself this is the second thing people don't realize, is an acronym. ARC is an acronym. It's why it's spelled in all caps. And it stands for Active Research Knowledge, ARC, A-R-K. And it comes from this belief that Kathy had of research, institutional grade, institutional level research. Everyone should have access to that. The fancy schmancy thoughts that we're having and only sharing with senior private bankers at insert institution that is willing to pay thousands of dollars for this PDF, that's too small an audience. And so one of the reasons why ARC does their research so publicly is ideologically the same reason. And it's actually how, this is how we bonded with Kathy when we first ran into her. It was about a profound love and nerdiness, but also a profound love and appreciation for research and giving it out there and making it free and accessible and digestible. And so it's been that way from the very beginning. And we got a few really nice things out of it in addition to explaining and elucidating these tough concepts to our end customers. Very nice. And it's the research aspect is so interesting because we produce such interesting, such varied research. And yeah, I make a good point is that as more of our customers take advantage of it, right, we have more knowledgeable customers and they can take advantage of other things that we are as well. We've seen this where we will have some customers who will start off buying our Bitcoin ETP. And then a year and a half or two years later, somehow they have figured out how to stake, how to buy a staking ETP, how to buy an index, how to buy a basket. And then we've had some of them in the end buy some of our more crypto native tokens, like the Polygon Ecosystem Index or the Solana Ecosystem Index, right? You do that enough such that, all right, we brought you in through Bitcoin. Then you discovered Ethereum. You discovered the alt. You discovered staking. You discovered this and that. And then at some point, 
you can still stay our customer and open us up from a phantom wallet, not just a brokerage or bank. And that's really, really powerful of being able to follow that entire user journey end to end. You've mentioned that. So we have all these products, like the Bitcoin product as well. And you've mentioned a user journey. Like, where do you see our user journey, the 21 Code, 21 Shares user journey moving in the next few years? I think that there's a certain breadth and depth that we have on the crypto side that you should expect to see more of. More assets, more strategies, more geographies. We're going to broaden access to that by a considerable margin. And we're already by far the most expensive product suite in the space. In addition to that, I think we will naturally become more and more crypto native as time goes by. We're not really finance type. We are crypto natives who understand and have learned to understand the traditional finance and the ETF world really well. It's hard to believe in crypto and not think that every ETF out there is going to be tokenized in, in, in a few years, five, 10, maybe 15, but it's not going to be a given in a few years that the only way of accessing something is through locally open business hours on some local stock exchange or something like that. And so how do we deliver that to our customers who, by the way, are largely in places like Taiwan is a great example of this, actually. Very high developed modern country, top economy. For the foreseeable future, we will not be on the local stock exchange. So how would you buy our product? By either getting access to them in some way or by buying some of the token versions of products that we have out already today or will build more of soon and release that. And so I think that's the single biggest change is that as our own customers become more crypto native, our own product suite itself will become more crypto native as well. And we have some surprises there, but it will start with some token product that you can purchase through a MetaMask or a Phantom wallet that's a native Solana program or an ERC-20 token, and you wouldn't be able to know the difference and 21 Pro will be on it. Nice. Oh God, I'm so looking forward to that. Exciting because we've had so many interesting products on the token side. And of course, on the ETP side, I can't wait for what the future holds. Haney, you are super busy. I've already mentioned this. I don't want to keep you for too long. You talked about challenges the industry's had. It's coming in 2023. I want you to like your final thoughts. What keeps you hopeful about the future of crypto and the crypto industry and ETPs and that sort of stuff? Two things. One is the very real usage that you see in DeFi, the communities behind some of these assets. I'll give you one really great example. Solana is obviously a coin FTX and Sam personally were very big fans of. They did some weird stuff with it. They may have pumped it at the expense of Bitcoin and Ethereum earlier in 2022. They may have done a few other things with it. That ecosystem was damaged quite a considerable bit after the fall of FTX and us finding out that Sam is really just a criminal. The way that community has banded together, the way that the crypto community, including a lot of Ethereum folks, have come in full support of Solana, the way that community and the developer ecosystem has just kept on building, kept on shipping, gives me a lot of hope. That is one example of that's a tough hand to be dealt, um, what the Solana community is experiencing right now, in the midst of what we're all experiencing, crypto, in the midst of what we're all experiencing globally. And there's a lot of those kinds of examples that are actually 
super, super hopeful. And that's the serious answer to your question. The true, factually correct, but less serious answer is you don't just want to be right. Because being right too late is actually almost as bad as being wrong. Because if you're right and you're too late, there's no chance whatsoever. You almost would have preferred being right and earlier. You would have had a better shot than just coming to the party way too late. So whenever I read negative news out there, crypto is going to zero, or this politician or that politician is going to ban it, or this is only going to be used by criminals, or it's a 200-day low in this random esoteric technical marker, I love all of that. Because I think if you have the thesis, and again, I said everyone should be a little bit more thesis-driven. If you have the thesis on one end, and you have all of this negative energy on the other, it means that if you are right, you're going to have a disproportionate amount of return on that investment of you being right. Because you want to be contrarian and right. You don't just want to be right. And so when everyone in the room is agreeing with you, chances are you should either put some noise-canceling headphones on so that you're not distracted, or you're in the wrong room. But when a ton of smart people are with you, but most people are not, oftentimes that may be when you're really onto something. And I think the smartest people still believe in crypto. I think some of the smartest engineers still gravitate towards crypto. And I don't think it's going to go away. And the fact that it's not as popular an opinion as it was even 13 months ago, absolutely beautiful. Time to build. The tourists are gone. Mark Cuban deleted all of his crypto tweets. And you see yes, some examples of that. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. Oh, this was bad. Whatever. Good riddance. Let's concentrate. Let's build. Let's do it without distractions. And I have never been as bullish as I am this moment on the future of crypto. Wonderful. And thank you for ending off with that. And you're right. It's totally, I remember joining the company and they were like highs of everything and Ethereum going to 4K and Bitcoin at 60K. I'm like, all of that, all the social media run that just really distracts you from getting things done. And yeah, perfect time. Focus on what we're doing. Get more people involved. Get more people understanding crypto. And I'm looking forward to the future. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. It does. So we have a 20-year vision ahead of us. Now it's just one step at a time without worrying too much about those kinds of details. Very cool. Rahani, thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. Of All course. Your social media and stuff will be down in the show notes for people listening to this on the podcast or watching on the YouTube video. And hopefully we can talk to you in 2024 sometime or maybe even sooner. We'll see how that works out. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. That's all we have time for today, folks. I and everyone at 21Co really appreciate you stopping by. Please don't forget to check us out and our website, 21.co. As stated during this episode, nothing said here by either party constitutes financial advice. This content on this podcast is strictly for information and entertainment purposes only. If you like what we do, you can follow us on social media, Twitter at 21company underscore, LinkedIn at 21-co. Check out the amazing content our research team puts out. You can also follow the company and any of the employees on LinkedIn to keep up the latest podcast releases. 21Shares also puts out a monthly newsletter with our latest insights on the crypto market. You can sign up for that on the 21Shares website. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone and everyone. See you next time.